We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Before we get started, I just want to mention that this podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest, easiest, and safest way to bet on all things sports. With March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day right around the corner, Bet Online has all the latest news, scores, and odds to help you win big. The best part? You'll receive 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to revive your literal free money. Plus, signing up is a great way to support the podcast you're listening to in your ears right now. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Now on with the show. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 181, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. It's Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Hi, I'm Dan Hilton. He's Frances Tomas. And for a second time this week, Frances, you know, it was all the way back in 2017. We used to do two shows a week. It was exhausting. But with Napoli, just to review, and El Clasico now to preview, I felt like we had to talk to each other a little bit more than usual. Hola, Gules. Yes, um... It is exhausting. I am falling asleep. Thank you and good night. Well, before you get to bed, Frances, we do have to talk about this 1-1 draw in Naples in the Champions League and then a little bit of a classical preview, as I said, at the end. So we don't usually go on match reviews too much because obviously we want this show to wind up living a few more days. But I think to speak about what happened in Naples today or yesterday is important to understand what's going to happen the next time around because obviously there's the simple stuff here that Busquets and Vidal will be missing through card accumulation while Vidal got a red, Busquets with the yellow card accumulation. PK's ankle will be revealed shortly as to how bad that is. Don't expect to see him in El Clasico, but he could be fine for uh, Naples in a few weeks. And then Kike Setien also said Jordi Alba and Sergio Roberto are going to be back. And I think... We need to start here as much as it was a team effort, as much as there was, I think, a malaise in the first half, but then they picked it up in the second, obviously getting the goal and all those things. Uh, You know, we usually don't do goal breakdowns either, but I do want to say the Barca goal and even the Napoli goal, I think a lot of credit is deserved to both teams for the goals that they scored. And I think a 1-1 result wound up being a fair result. The big picture here, obviously, is that Barca is in the pole position to qualify for the next round at home. They have that important away goal. Not that I think Napoli will go scoreless. 
at the Camp Nou, but Barca are much, much better at home this season. So just to get that away goal in a 1-1 draw, I think is a fine result. And as we've seen in recent seasons, whether it was Lyon, Man United, the away match, Barca does this, and then they wind up taking care of business at home. All that said, the buildup of the Barca goal, you know, the first time around, Francis, when I watched this, I thought Arturo Vidal was poor. I also thought Rakitic was poor in this match. I thought Semedo and Firpo, we'll get to them. I want you to put a pin in the fullbacks. We'll get to them in a minute. But Vidal, I thought was poor in the in the game the first time I had watched it. I had half eye on it. But on second viewing, Vidal's buildup, as we keep crediting him with, is really, really important, particularly in the goal. It's Vidal that comes back, checks to the ball, gives it back to Messi. Messi and Busquets, who are forcing, I I don't remember who or what, I think it was Zelensky, whichever defensive midfielder, it might have been Ruiz, who was closest to Messi and Busquets, making them kind of choose between the two because Messi had then moved into that space to be right next to Busquets, lays it off to Busquets. He delivers a tremendous ball into Nelson Semedo, who finally is able to get and time that run properly to run in behind the defense, and then it's a cross in to Griezmann for the goal. It was a typical Barca build-up goal, and I don't think, Frances, that Barca were going to score any other way other than a, we'll say, a perfect Barca FIFA build-up goal that ends with a tap-in. Exactly, and the thing is, Barca did not dominate the game. Uh, the best thing about the whole game is that, first, it's over, and second, that it's over with a result that allows us to basically win at the Camp Nou against Napoli and go through. I mean, if we're going to be Napoli at home, then we don't deserve to go through anyway. So I think that it leaves the it leaves the, the, the draw in a very favourable position. Um, you mentioned Vidal. I think that Vidal's problem is that he was playing as a right wing. Against Eibar over the weekend, he played as a left wing, which allowed him to sort of cut through towards the middle and then go to his preferred foot for either combinations or, or, or shots from far, further away. Um, when you've got Vidal as a right winger, then obviously you expect him to to, to cut forward. But um, obviously he didn't do that. He was open quite wide most of the time. I mean, he's a good player. Um, he's not, I don't think he's Barca caliber, Barca superstar caliber. But then again, Paulinho wasn't either. So he can give you something a bit different than the others just, just can't. Um, he's, he, he made himself very easy to, to mark. He didn't give enough up front. He didn't combine enough um, and he was very easy for, for the left back to just wait for him and he, he didn't have a terrible game uh, but his second place, his strength and charisma is always going to be helpful but he just didn't unbalance often enough. Now you also mentioned Griezmann. I think that is remarkable to see him appearing when the, the team needs him the most. Um, he was far more active in the second half I understand and, you know, the team needed a crucial goal and, and he got it. Um, it wasn't the, the greatest game from him. I think we're still awaiting his, you know, five stars performance from, from you know, Griezmann at the, at the larger stage. Maybe he comes in a classical, who knows? But I think that his talent um, and obviously the, the goal that you just described enabled Barca to get a very valuable point. Well, not point, but, you know, a very valuable result in the draw um, on the way on the way to qualify for the next round. Um, I, I like Griezmann's self-confidence and obviously his experience at the highest level under Simeone and obviously France is is always going to be a positive. So so good to see someone that the club has invested on so heavily actually doing well for a change after the Dembélé and Coutinho fiascos. 
Yeah, and I think that's a perfect segue into what I think is our one and only argument of the day. When it comes to the failings, and I think one of the narratives around who was struggling in this match, obviously the the fullbacks for Barca were brought up in Firpo and Semedo because there was a lot of passing just around, and it seems like there wasn't a lot of purpose with the passing. And Nelson Semedo... Again, we credit him for the goal. I thought defensively he had a solid day as well. Semedo continues to me to have the same narrative that he is not a world beater. He may not even be a top 15 or 20 fullback in the world. And I think that's pretty easy to actually admit that. But yesterday it was interesting based on advanced metrics. If you watch the game, it says something different. But based on advanced metrics, he was Barca's third best player when it comes to uh, all the little things and having an impact on the game. But again, if you watch the game, you wonder and you ask for more from Nelson Semedo. That said, Junior Firpo on the other side was the one who got a ton of criticism for this match. And I actually want to give a defense of Firpo, not the big picture that we need to be patient. I said that last week. People obviously aren't going to be patient. They say he's not up to wearing the Barca shirt. It's not just about what we saw at Real Betis. It's coming into Barcelona it's that Furpo's first touch has not looked as good as it was, and that has hurt him a bit, sure. But A, the way that he was blamed on the goal, I want to break this down very quickly, that it was actually a really good move by Napoli. Ospina used the space because Messi pressed him, and then he didn't press him half-heartedly, and it's a credit to Messi for pressing a little more in this game than he usually does. But Ospina kind of sidesteps Messi, gets around, and, and that frees up then the right back being Di Lorenzo to get forward and step in. So where Griezmann was tracking Di Lorenzo and ready for him to try to go up the flank, he kind of makes a double move, picks up the ball more centrally, and that brings him forward and farther to create a little bit of a numerical mismatch in the middle of the field. Then getting all the way upfield, he finds the feet of Mertens, and on that Dries Mertens run, who came and backtracked, if this makes any sense, PK tries to follow him. He's a little bit late to it. PK obviously is going to catch Burton's anyway. But the minute Burton's gets it, he doesn't really get a full first touch on it, or a perfect touch on it, rather, and it careens then off Furpo. You say Furpo probably should have been able to control this a little bit better, but again, it was an oddly managed ball because it came, again, bouncing off of Mertens from a few feet away. And then as Mertens turns to run off PK, PK doesn't really fully sprint with him. I would argue that PK wasn't going to catch him anyway because Mertens has much more foot speed than PK on the ground. But then Verpo, then because that ball hits him in the wrong direction in the way that it did, it winds up going right into the path of the on-waiting Zelinski who's making that run. And so Verpo is now out of position because of an unlucky ball that winds up hitting off him. Then when Zelinski gets it in, Mertens has made that run. PK again did not was or was not able to catch him on the track. That means Semedo had to step up, didn't step up fast enough, but also didn't want to commit a penalty because Mertens had plenty of space there. And Mertens winds up having a good finish. So as much as I just outlined some of the issues with Firpo and PK and Semedo, I think credit deserves is deserved to Napoli because they broke down that Barcelona press, got the balls to fall the right way, and it was pretty good buildup. So again, I think there are times when as much as we can be critical of all the Barca players, there are goals that the opponents score where, as I said on the Patreon yesterday, Napoli is a quality side. These are round of 16 Champions League teams. They're supposed to be the best in the world. Barca's supposed to be better, sure, but Napoli deserves credit on this goal. And where we should be saying that Barca could have done better is obviously they controlled the match for so much of the match, they probably should have had a second. And then that goal from Napoli isn't even a question. But to bring it all the way back to Firpo, as far as offensively, where Barca should have had a second, because Griezmann and Vidal are so often inside the box, Firpo is kind of stranded. At Real Batiste, he would either cross it 
into the box where Griezmann and, and Vidal aren't necessarily expecting that ball because they're not making runs in for headers. They're merely waiting for a ball to play a 1-2 with Messi or somebody else coming into the box. So the cross isn't usually on. And then as far as the other run to be made, Griezmann doesn't really make this run too often for Barca because you're waiting for somebody else, one of those fullbacks to get in behind on a similar run from the foot of Messi. So Griezmann doesn't make that through ball or the through ball expected from Firpo in behind the defense. So he tries to uh, get a ball crossed in. So the outlets for Firpo, people saying, oh, he's, all he does is, is pass backwards. But my question is, unless he's errantly crossing in where it's probably not going to find a Barca head, what ball forward is he supposed to play once he's gotten forward? So maybe his first test needs to be better, sure. But I don't know what options Firpo truly has with the ball at his feet. So my defense for Firpo is you have to give him a little bit more time. I mean, yes, Alba might be better. And Kukurea, if Barca is able to get him in the offseason, there are probably better options than Firpo. But... He's still a young player, and I expect him to get better as time goes on the more he gets into Barca's system. I'm not out on him completely and say that he's not good enough to wear a Barca shirt like a lot of other players we might have seen in recent seasons. Yeah, uh, I don't want to repeat what you said, so I'm just going to try and take it into a different direction. Um, The Napoli manager, um, Gennaro Gattuso, gave Barca the wings, meaning that he allowed the fullbacks to, to go forward pretty much freely, and uh, he did that to overpopulate the middle. So there were a line of uh, four, then so four defenders from Napoli, another five uh, midfielders in the middle, and sort of a lone striker that obviously when they managed to counter, normally with a longer ball, then they, they managed to unsettle. And obviously the second second line players, such as Callejon, etc., were, were moving forwards. And, and, and that's really telling, you know, that's, that's the, opposite, the opponent's manager sort of being crystal clear that, you know, Semedo and Firpo are not really going to damage us as, as they, they would have done, say, if Alba was playing. So I think that's a very telling detail that links to what you're saying. Um, also, blandly, Junior Firpo is not Barca level today. You know, I think we can all agree on that. And when we say that he's got potential, that he's young, etc., of course, of course he does. Um, I, I cannot disagree with that. But um, obviously, we would have all preferred Jordi Alba to play. And to be honest, Jordi Alba gets a lot of criticism from people as well. So I, I'm not quite sure, you know, where, where all this criticism comes from. Because if, if even Jordi Alba gets criticized at this level, then I don't know what the, expect, the level of expectation is. You know, we cannot have picked Dani Alves in, in, every, in every position for all of us history. So, you know, that, that set aside, Jordi Alba is out injured. He cannot play. Uh, Kukureya is not in the team. And the board has decided that Junior Filippo will be the alternative now and and you know if there's any fingers to be pointed they shouldn't be pointed at, at junior or anybody else it should be pointed directly at the board yeah so you're bringing us right into i think the big talking point after this match as mentioned jordi alba and sergio roberto could be back for napoli so i think most importantly with sergio roberto coming back in you know whether he chooses to put Firpo up on the right wing if he doesn't want to have Fatih start, start or Sergio Roberto could play at the right back position. But I still expect Semedo to play at home. Uh, that means that Sergio Roberto could be the third midfielder as he was in the in the El Clasico. We're going to get to that in a second. But the comments that are made are about the squad depth. And it's funny that you do mention that. Uh, Busquets had said, this is a quote, we hope PK's injury is nothing serious, but we will take on the second leg with what we have. We don't have a deep squad because, unfortunately... That's how it was planned. And Rakitic added, we have a short squad, but those that are in charge knew that. The solution is what it is. Those that are available will have worked really hard because we have an important match in the second leg. Frances, it sounds to me like the players have talked about this, and this is the stance and the dialogue that they're going forward with, that they are, we'll say, tongue-in-cheek 
basically telling Abidal, sporting directors, and obviously the board who just makes the decisions based on the recommendations from Abidal and company that the squad isn't good enough. And I think this is their opportunity and they're taking the opportunity to let in little jabs here and there. Yep. Um, before I say anything else, I want to say that if the board had done their job and they had reinforced the, the team as they should have been, Rakitic wouldn't be part of the squad. I agree with that. Rakitic would have been sold in the summer. So I think that he is talking from a position of sort of self-defense. Like, look at these people. They're not doing the jobs. They wanted to get rid of me sort of thing. But actually, I think they would have been right to do that because we would have gotten some money that hopefully, um, hopefully being the key word, would have been reinvested elsewhere. But but put that to one side, I think that once Messi posted that Instagram post that he posted a couple of weeks back, um, calling the board out, basically, then if Messi can do that, then everyone else is going to follow. I mean, um, I think it was, well, we recorded two posts this week. It looks like a lifetime ago. But I think it was earlier in the week that um, Piquet called one of the Catalan journalists that basically suck up to the board um, a puppet. Uh, then Busquets, right after the match, comes up with what you just said, and Rakitic follows suit. I think this is a clear finger-pointing exercise. Uh, the players are clearly frustrated that you know they've got no alternatives. Um, Carlos Perez would have definitely played yesterday, or you know would have would have supported what the manager is trying to to implement. I mean, those 18 million euros that we um, spent on Braithwaite could have gone elsewhere to reinforce another position. But, you know, that's that's where we are today. I think the players have probably said, you know, I know elections are coming up soon. Um, you know, they, they're coming up not this summer, the summer after. But maybe with the comments, they're bringing everything forward. I mean, they, they do sense the feeling in the city, which is quite clear that, that, that the board has ruined what should have been a great season by not taking action. And the players are thinking, you know what, it's not on us, it's on you. But I think the, the responsibility needs to be distributed, not in equal parts, because obviously uh, Bartomeu and Abidal, etc., they're the ones that have got the keys to, to make everything better, or in this case, worse. But um, I don't think the, the, the blame can be 100% on them. But obviously, you know, they're going to be the first ones to go. And if the players, I don't think they're playing political games, but clearly they're not stopping themselves from doing that either. Yeah, and it's funny, when we talk about the summer and planning for the summer, you know, I, I did see a response and credit, not not remembering exactly who it was, uh, somewhere on Twitter, they had said that it was, I believe the credit goes to a gentleman named Donnie, but the the idea is that the board are just saving and sitting on the money and preparing for a gigantic bid at Neymar, and I don't know if that's true. I, I think that there certainly it could be again trying to bring as much money in as they can to to make that bid but i think that the board are merely trying to make up for all the money that they've spent in the past few summers i think that there there is i mean if you do the math on the expenditures they're running the club at the moment in the transfer window at least at that deficit i know they make over a billion dollars in revenue sure but as far as the transfer stuff and making sure that they are complying with uh, financial fair play which we've seen other clubs are going to start to get hit by it as PSG were able to buy their way out of trouble, and Man City seems to be in some trouble. But if they are to try to contend with financial fair play, it seems like they're making up money instead of preparing for, obviously, a big bid for Neymar. Neymar is still going to cost. PSG's not going to let him go for less than $200 million, so you can expect that. And as you mentioned, all that said, you know, the other thing that Kevin Williams and I were discussing on Twitter yesterday was that the La Masia and when Kiki Satine came in, just like Valverde, they had said they were going to use B team a little bit more and we could see some players who've earned minutes. And as I've said, 
Puj, having watched Barca be enough this season, Puj has deserved some minutes with the first team. And Callado, I think, has been just as good or better than Carlos Perez at the third division. I think Callado, who he may be naturally a central midfielder, but he has been very good on the wing, uh, arguably Barca B's best player. But Barca B's best player, if not for Puj and Callado, has been Manchu, but the midfield is just a little bit too stacked. And all that said, as you mentioned, I think for Rakitic, he just didn't belong in this game. I, I think it was physical, and so you wonder if Puj or Callado, uh, you're not going to trust those kind of guys in this in this certain match. But then why did Setien not start them against Abar? And with Archer, who looks to be unable to play 60 minutes on two different occasions in a week, then Archer probably should have been sat against Abar, and then a Puj starts against Abar on the weekend. I'm not saying start Puj against Napoli in as Catuso has, you know, very much in Catuso characteristics has said that he wants to make it a fight. He wants to make it scrappy. I mean, Vidal fell for it, got got red carded. And so he'll be missing a second leg. And Busquets also a silly tackle for him. So you knew Napoli were going to do this. And maybe this isn't match for Puj. But as I said, as far as rotation, why did he go with the squad he did against Abar? That seemed to be a very similar one to this, with the exception of De Jong got a little bit of rest against Abar. Great. But Again, if you if it was Arthur who needed the rest to play against Napoli, we saw when Arthur came on. He obviously was not the reason that the goal happened, but I want to take you to a quick passing sequence between Vidal, Arthur, and Semedo in that second half that was pretty terrific. And that it showed to me it was just about seven or eight passes, but they continued to work a triangle. They took five yard by five yard by five yards, and eventually it wound up to be a perpendicular pass into Messi because Messi comes over and, as the fourth man, completely overloads the numbers. And that's not happening with Rakitic. It's just the other midfielders are too far away, or he's not having quick enough balls. He's sitting on the ball too long to, to get it out to a fullback, to get it back in enough time where the fullback has to, they really only have one option. So to me, Rakitic, he's not terrible. It's not awful that Rakitic is on the field for Barca. But as far as being a net positive, I would rather, much rather have Artur had started this match. But that means that what happened to that squad rotation and using La Masia against a team that looks to be that they're going to be relegated in Abar on the weekend. That's about that squad planning that's frustrating me. And I don't even think with, there's only, what, eight guys available? I know that's an exaggeration, but there's only eight players available. And Kike Setien needs to be playing a whole roster, the rotation Planning, it all has to be better. And sure, you can blame Abidal, you can blame the board for squad planning and having the squad as it is. But yeah, I'm still asking questions about what's happening from 11 to 11. Yeah, but the thing is, the, the game against Abar, obviously we won very comfortably, but we didn't know that was going to be the case because, you know, if you had not got the three points on that game at the Camp Nou against, you know, such a relatively and, you know, based on the classification, based on the standings, actually quite poor, then it would have been mayhem uh, on a week ahead of Napoli and Real Madrid. So really, it's the lack of uh, great results and, and sort of great preparation and not enough time for Setien to actually get his team together that led him to do what he did. And obviously, then you've got Napoli and Real Madrid, so you're not going to experiment then. I, I, I sort of understand what the manager did. I think we need to get this week out of the way. Uh, we've only got one more game, but obviously it's the big one um, in La Liga. And actually this this time actually does really matter because Madrid have been much more competitive this year than they have been in previous years. And also Barca have been worse than they have been in La Liga. So um, the, the classical coming up is absolutely essential and crucial for the domestic league title to be decided. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with that point. I understand that. But I, I again, I wonder that if the likes of a Puj, and it's not just about, you know, I'm standing for Ricky Puj, but if it's not 
a bar and I understand the mentality of trying to go into a week winning but if it's not a bar then I, I just don't know where when do players ever break in and feature particularly in the midfield unless you're going seven eight deep on your roster I just don't know when Barca ever bring forward players I mean and Firpo getting his opportunity because Alba's injured but anyway let's talk about El Clasico here much has changed since the last two met Valverde obviously was in charge the first time 0-0 draw he started Messi and Griezmann and Suarez up top Sergio Roberto, De Jong, and Rakitic in the midfield, you remember. Busquets didn't feature in this match. And Alba, Lingley, Pique, and Semedo at the back. So yeah, there has been a bunch of differences. Obviously, Suarez is going to be gone up top. And then we could see, again, Roberto, De Jong, and Rakitic, but I expect Busquets to be in one of those positions. And then Zidane played a 4-3-1-2 with Cruz, Casemiro, and Fede Valverde setting up a wall behind Isco as a number 10 with Benzema and Bale up top. Since that time, however, more often than not, Zidane has been playing with a 4-3-3 with Isco on a wing when he does play. And to me, as much as all the names that I just mentioned, we were, taking, we were talking about fullbacks already. I think this matchup certainly is going to come down to the fullbacks again, Frances. Firpo and Semedo against, I'm assuming, Ferland Mendy, who played the first meeting instead of Marcelo, and Danny Cavajal on the other side. But then we also have the added wrinkle of Martin Braithwaite. Will he be the hero in El Clasico? Because... This time around, they have no Hazard and no Rodrigo, who both featured in that last match as well. Well, sorry, Hazard did not feature in that match at all, and he won't be featuring in El Clasico until next season. And then Rodrigo got a red card or two yellows down in a Castilla match, and so that's why he's missing. But he came off the bench in the last one. Again, he, I've been worried about him, but I don't know, Frances. It seems like things are going to be a little different, but I'm expecting a little bit more of a stalemate again. And we, we are also doing this before Real Madrid play Man City in the Champions League. So you could have even more players injured or something else happen, or they could be limping into this match, or they could be flying high if they dominate Pep Guardiola and Man City. For sure, but I think we need to worry about our team first. Um, I think that Setien is going to stick to pretty much the same team that he had in Italy against Napoli. Um, everything will depend on Piquet's health when it comes to the back line. Um, so if he doesn't recover or he's not fully fit, I'm expecting our two French World Cup, well, two French internationals, Lenglet and Mutiti, to, to be there. Um, up front, obviously, the, the, the problem, the doubt is going to be who takes the left wing. Uh, could be Ansu Fati, could be Braithwaite, or could be Arturo Vidal again. Um, I have an inkling he's going to be conservative and he's going to go for Arturo Vidal again, but not having on the right wing, but on the left wing, as he did against Elvar. I think everything else remains untouched, um, possibly with Artur starting alongside Le Young and Busquets. But, um, yeah, I think I think we've got a chance. I think that, especially in La Liga, we seem to be more confident. And, you know, the games against Napoli wasn't amazing, but it wasn't lost like the last games um, in the knockout stages in the Champions League have been. The team wasn't embarrassing, you know, like they have been before. And I know this is setting the bar quite low. I, I understand that. But what I'm trying to say is that it's a morale boost for the team to actually start losing away from home, come back, and then sort of control the game enough so that can, you can take away a good result. So I think all of that will take forward. I'm not saying they're going to be full of confidence, but I don't think we should be scared of Real Madrid either. We don't have 27 feet players, as you've been explaining clearly. But I think we've got enough to beat Madrid or, you know, not to lose against Madrid at all. Yeah, they were flying high about a month ago, but they are conceding a little bit uh, at, a, at a larger clip of late. And the one player 
you know, we you when you write and prepare for El Clasico, the name that always comes up is Messi, and it should. The more you dig deep into Messi, and I have a YouTube video about El Clasico preview, and obviously I have to mention Messi so much because when we say that Messi dominates El Clasico, big players get up to those big moments. And of all the players we named so far, Marcelo's had some big moments in El Clasico. Uh, PK's had some big moments. We're, we're waiting for other big moments. Again, will it be De Jong? When is he going to have his El Clasico moment? And Sergio Roberto, he, I think, is a huge loss for Barca because he does play really, really well. And he's a big game player against El Clasico, in El Clasico, with the one exception being the red card a few years ago. But Messi has the most goals in this fixture with 18 in the league, 26 total. Rounding out the top 10 of some of those names are Di Stefano, Cristiano Ronaldo, Raul, Cesar Rodriguez for Barca, Francisco Gento, Puskas, Centellano, Luis Suarez, and Hugo Sanchez. So with the exception of Messi, Luis Suarez, and Cesar Rodriguez, it's a lot of Real Madrid names because, again, they put up a lot of big score lines uh, throughout their, the history of El Clasico. But since that time came, Messi has been the difference. And I know that, obviously, uh, Los Blancos fans or will think that they, don't, they have Messi in their head, but it's okay. They're at home, Santa, uh, Santiago Bernabeu. But Messi just plays well there. I mean, for what it's worth, Messi's also delivered the most assists in the tie as well with 14. And as for appearances, Sergio Ramos has 43, all-time in El Clasico. So, again, always somebody to be worried about. But Messi sits just behind him with 42. Busquets is at 37, and Piquet is at 35. This is a tie that has to do with experience. And this is one of those times where we almost say when we're preparing for a match or previewing a match, oh, Vidal will be the difference or Braithwaite might be the difference off the bench. The difference in this match in El Clasico is going to be Lionel Messi. It always has been and it will be until he hangs up the boots. That's what all the statistics say and he always has Real Madrid in his crosshairs and now they don't have a Cristiano Ronaldo to save them and they, they're the guy they bought to replace him in Hazard is not going to save them and Benzema you know, as much as Benzema is having a terrific year and his scoring is up since Ronaldo left, I'm not afraid of Benzema. So I'm not going to say that Barcelona, that I'm confident that Barcelona is going to go in it, uh, it on the road because they haven't been good away from home. But Messi is going to be the difference if Barca win. And if Barca struggle and they're able to shut down Messi through a combination of Valverde and Casemiro, which is what's going to happen, it's going to be a lot of, we're going to have to deal with a lot of Casemiro. We're going to have to deal with a lot of Freddy Valverde, continuing to hack Messi over and over again as he comes back to play make a little bit deeper. But all that said, if he can be the hero, as he's been so many times before, Barcelona are going to get a W. And if they get that W, that puts them, and I think that changes the entire narrative of the season. Exactly, exactly, which goes back to your last comment before this one you just made, which is about playing the youth. I mean, if you win in the Bernabeu, then you're five points clear, if I'm not mistaken. So that's quite a big advantage. And against the lesser team, you can introduce um, Collado, Ricky, etc. Ansu could start consistently, etc. And that would help you moving forward. Obviously, you could then also start Braithwaite in La Liga, because you cannot play the Champions League, and then give us, you know, give a a Griezmanns and maybe even Messi some rest so that in the Champions League they can be they can be even sharper. I want to comment on Messi's words ahead of the Champions League clash, saying you know when he was speaking to Mundo Deportivo when he said that Barca are not in the top four favorites. Um, and I know I mentioned in the previous pod this week about sort of being a defense mechanism and taking Barca away from the spotlight. But I think that what Messi is doing as well is trying to prepare all of us the Barca fan base in particular, uh, to, to be aware that we may not win anything this season. You know, to say that 
we don't have enough players to win the Champions League. We may run short if we challenge La Liga to the very end. And linking to what you were saying is the fact that Messi is central to everything that Barca does. If Messi is happy, if Messi is confident, if Messi is um, scoring goals, if Messi is assisting, then Barca has a chance to go to the very end and, and, and win every title remaining, which obviously is two because we're out of the Copa del Rey. And, you know, in the history of a classical, the last 10, 15 years of a classical, Messi has been central and rightly so. And I think that this in this occasion is not going to be any different. Messi is the heart of Barca. Messi is the pendulum. Messi is, Messi is Barca at this moment in time because all of the system revolves around him. He's the one with the freedom. You know, it was clear in the in the match against Napoli that Setien tried to put him as a false nine, but then again, he drifts wherever he wants most of the time because he understands the game. He can unbalance defenders. He reads the game. And um, I think it was um, Eder Sarabia, which is obviously Kike Setien's um, assistant coach, saying, we're not really going to tell Messi what to do. We're not going to teach Messi to play football. All we can do is advise and give him enough evidence and, and data so that he can decide. So against against Madrid in a Clásico, obviously Fede Valverde and the other Real Madrid midfielders, they have been quite solid this season. And it's a, it's it's going to be up to Messi and the rest of the team to find him, um, to, to, to unbalance and, and bring the win home. Um, I've got a stat that I wrote down while I was listening to Catalonia Radio after the game. And it was really, really telling. It was the fact that De Jong and Messi only connected six times, six combination between them. So De Jong really needs to find his position. He needs to participate more. He needs to be sure as to what his area of influence is. And the rest of the team also need to find him a bit more, need to allow him more spaces um, so that he can be more influential. So I think that when you've got such a key player as De Jong should be, not combining with Messi, then you've got a problem. So long story cut short, if Barca can weave between the Real Madrid midfielders and the young and obviously Artur if he starts, which I think he should connect with Messi, then that's going to be a great battle won for us. Yeah, that's a really good point about how De Jong has come along because as much as we've been critical of Abidal on the board, De Jong was the one player we wanted more than any other. And once Kool-Aid's got him, it has taken much longer for him to integrate as expected. And particularly, as you mentioned, it's very telling that a midfielder like that, we speak about the number of times that we'll say the midfielders that Messi has favored. And again, I don't, it's always going back to Xavi Nesta and it will continue as long as Messi and Busquets are in the, as long as that unit still is, uh, remnants of that unit are still around. But yeah, the number of times that Iniesta and Xavi connected with Messi to have a successor in, in De Jong only connect with him on, on six occasions. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I had a whole thing prepared and then that, that stat you said almost flabbergasted me a bit, a bit, uh, took, took the words out of my mouth, but to get back to, again, the big picture here about Messi, and this is where I will wrap up today's show, is that if Messi is the hero, and this is the argument that we keep hearing a lot, that you see some Kool-Aids, and we're not meriting whether or not somebody loves Barca or what they want, but we are hearing some arguments about losing El Clasico, or at least getting a result in El Clasico, but losing the Liga and losing Champions League, getting kicked out of those competitions, and that would mean that there would be an election. The, the kind of argument to that is there might not be. Uh, the, the downside of all this is that Messi winds up being the savior, sure. And what say Barca wins the Champions League and La Liga this year? We'll be ecstatic in the same way that Luis Enrique back in 2015, and credit to Sid Loeb pointing this out um, on the Spanish football podcast, that it looked like and Luis, Luis Enrique was a dead man walking 
But then Barcelona wind up having, in what was considered a down season, where everyone was kind of gloom and doom, they win the treble, and it changes the entire narrative. Now Luis Enrique is, is conceded as a terrific Barca coach, the board has all the confidence of the socios, and everything is, is fair and grand. And the same thing might happen this season. If Messi winds up, again, being the hero, and Barca wind up winning a double in the Liga Champions League, and even if they win the Champions League and not La Liga, even if Real Madrid wind up winning the Liga, but if you win the Champions League this season, it patches over everything. So obviously, if they win the Champions League, there is no chance there's an election this year, and it and, and Kike Setien gets, I would assume, the stamp of approval, and he gets to really take time to go through with his project. But if Barca loses everything, again, there's no guarantee there's election anyway, you know, there has to be a vote of confidence and you have to have everybody vote for that. And that also, it's more helpful when that vote of confidence happened because the vote happens at the camp. No. So in person, if there are no matches going on, it's difficult to get a large enough number, a percentage to come to the camp. No, without matches going on to wind up getting a vote of no confidence for a summer election. So even if Barca wind up trophyless, it doesn't mean that there's going to be any structural change. And Messi winds up again. But if Messi winds up being the hero, then things kind of stay the same. And I would say put a pin in the fact that you're upset with the board or if you're one of those who can vote, then maybe put a pin in that because those elections might not happen until next summer, regardless of how this ends. So I would say, you know, for those who say, oh, we might see change or radical change if they're losing, I would say just do what you need to do. Vote. I mean, not vote, but root for Barcelona and want Barcelona to win and understand that Messi is at foundation of why they're winning. And I would say give a little bit of Kike Setien credit when he's due credit. Yeah, I, I'm never going to understand Gules who say they support Barca and want the team to lose. That, to me, doesn't make sense. I cannot even speak about it. I cannot comprehend it. Um, and so I'm, I'm not really going to comment anymore. To me, that makes absolutely zero sense. Um, as for is the season going to turn around like 2015? I mean, it could do. I'm not going to, you know. I'm not going to end the podcast on a downer, but in 2015, we had the 2015 version of Suarez. We had Messi four years younger. We had Neymar. You know, he was still sort of getting injured for his sister's birthday like he does every single year, but he was 2015 Neymar. He was firing in all cylinders, especially yeah. in Europe. You had Xavi and Iniesta. You had Busquets four years younger. You had Piqué four years younger. You had Jordi Alba four years younger. I mean, I'm not going to continue, but the, the current squad cannot even compare especially with Suarez and Dembélé and Jordi Alba injured to, to that of 2015. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that for certain. Um, but crazier things that happen. As we say with the Champions League, you take that one one match at a time. How, how often does the best team win the Champions League? And as you said, Francis, yeah. a good place to end it is that Messi said, Barca might not be one of the top three favorites, but very rarely does a favorite win the Champions League. Yeah, and also we won a Champions League with Giuliano Belletti scoring in the finals. So, you know, things can happen. Yep, things can happen, like the Barcelona podcast having two shows this week. So I, I think as we're kind of wrapping this one up, Francis, it's a good place to end it, but is there anything else we might have missed? I just want to say that if there's anyone who's still listening to this podcast today, uh, which clearly you are because you wouldn't be about to hear what I'm going to say, please share this podcast with some coolers that you love and you think that they would t take some value out of listening to what we're saying. You know, we're not saying we are perfect. We're not saying we are geniuses. We're not saying even that we are experts or anything like that. But I think that you can feel the passion coming through our words. I mean, the fact that, I'm going to embarrass Dan now, the fact that Dan spent the whole week making YouTube videos, making Patreon 
um, match reviews, making podcasts, apart from his actual job, is just remarkable. So uh, we're not going to ask you for money. We're not going to ask you for anything like that. I mean, if you want to support the Patreon, obviously do go ahead. But if you can do one thing this week is make sure you tell someone that you love to someone that you hate, you know, tell someone about it so that the podcast can continue to grow. And if you've got any Real Madrid fans, just, you know, you can post them our way and annoy them a little bit. Um, please share the podcast if you think that it's adding some value to your day, your week and your feelings for the Barca colors. Yeah, I agree with that, Frances. Uh, you know, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pop, at HiltonD13 for me, there is much more negativity than there is positivity there. And I know that those who don't respond or those who aren't really, you know, they don't have an active part of the community. I see the numbers of who's listening to the pod. So I do thank all the people that are just listening, just downloading, just subscribing, and all those different things. Super helpful on Instagram, at the Barcelona Pod. Closed Facebook group is tvpod.link group. Again, there are deeper dives, and we, there's a lot of discussions going on there. And a lot of the ideas that I, the big ideas I get from this, and it sounds like I might be, if you're one of those in that group, it sounds like I, I might be taking some of your discussion points, but I do kind of look over all those and try to see what some of the narratives and conversations are. And that's what I use to figure out exactly what we're going to talk about, including the questions that we get. So on YouTube, the Barcelona podcast, what you can do for me there for the Barcelona podcast, YouTube channel, even if it's an old video, give it a like, subscribe to the channel. All of that is really helpful to try to hit those goals as well as that's where we have the pod as well. So if you are, if you normally listen on a one of your podcast players and you want to hear it on YouTube, you can listen to it there as well. So check us out. Hit that subscription button. And as always, we're also, again, on Patreon for the Quick Take Match Reviews. So thanks so much for listening, as always, to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, let's beat Real Madrid and Forza Barca. Forza! Forza!